0: God, we love you, and we are so thankful to be here this morning to, to be in your presence, to, to worship you through music and singing. God, we, we know that we are thankful for the, the freedom to be able to do that, to be able to, to play our instruments and to sing and to, to not worry in fear of, of someone coming in to stop us. And uh, God, we just are so thankful for that, and we're thankful for uh, just, just your word. That we can open it and we can read it and we can hear from you. This is your word to us. And God, may you speak through me this morning. May the words that come out of my mouth be, be your words and not just mine. And no one in here needs a, needs a word from Pastor Chris today. They need a word from you. And So God, I just pray that you would speak through me and, uh, and use me once again today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have been, uh, over the last four weeks, this is our fifth week now, kind of on this journey in the, in the back half of our Multiply series, through the story of Scripture, right? If, we, if we're going to be disciples who make disciples, and we're going to be disciples who, who know the story of God and tell the story of God and live the story of God, uh, then we need to do the first thing. We need to know the story of God to be able to, to tell it and live it. And so we've been talking over the last four weeks and we'll continue to talk for the next uh, number of weeks on the story of God on this book right here. What are the, what's the story? How, how do we know what happens in here? What, what are some of the themes in here? And so we started out with creation and just taking a, 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 a large view, the, the zoomed out view of the star breather God who created you and created me. And hopefully you left that week just in awe of who God is. And then the next week, we talked about how, how that perfect creation lasted a whole two chapters. You know? uh, two chapters, and, and God it took six chapters for God to regret making human beings. And so, what happened? What happened? What happened? How did sin get into this picture? And, and how does sin work? And we talked about sin. And from there, at, we left there with, with Adam and Eve being cast out of the garden, the tree of life being guarded, and then we look in the back of the book and we see in Revelation 22 how the tree of life is back in the picture, right? And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And so how do we get from there to here? And so a couple weeks ago, we started this redemption story, which is a lot of this book that you and I hold in our hands. This is the redemption story of God. We started with Abraham, the covenant of, of God with Abraham. The, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars, as numerous as the sand. Right? And, and, and that last week we talked about Moses, this, this Moses in the burning bush, and talked about this, this I am God. Who is this I am God that is, that is restoring his people to himself? And we talked about this, this I am God as being a holy God, a merciful God, an ever-present God. But I feel bad because we didn't tell the rest of the story last week. We kind of stopped in Exodus 3 and we, we looked at this I am God and we kind of just paused to look at that stuff. But we didn't really continue the story of, of the restoration here. We looked at Moses. But I want to kind of continue the story because it will help us as, as we get to where we're going today. And so if you, if, you, if, you, if you turn with me, Moses, the rest of the story, we know in Exodus chapter 3 that, that God calls Moses from the burning bush and says, go to, my, go, to, go to Egypt. I'm going to be using you to free my people. And so we know that Moses goes. And in Exodus chapter 5, we see Moses' first interaction with Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. And we'll read, uh, actually, much of this chapter. Chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know of the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, "Look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working." That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to support to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you each day just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday and today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we're told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That's why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce the full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of each of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh, and his officials have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Right? Moses is going going to the Pharaoh to do exactly what God told him to do. Go to the Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go. So Moses, with his brother Aaron, goes to the Pharaoh, hey, let us go, we're going to go to the mountains, we're going to go do this festival for a few days, let us go. Pharaoh's like, no, I'm the Pharaoh, I don't answer to your God, no. I'm not going to do that. And makes the work harder. So you can imagine Moses and Aaron at this point thinking, God did tell us to do that, right? That, was, that really was a burning bush. That happened, right? Like God did tell us to go and to tell our people to go, right? Why are things getting worse right now? Right? Why, why is this? And so, and Moses even prays in verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble on his people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Now, yeah, we talked a little bit about chapter 6 yes, last week, about how God, God speaks back to Moses, and he says, I remember my covenant with my, with my servants. I'm going to free my people. I'm going to do this. Right? and for, So for the, rest, for, for the next part of the story, we see in chapters 7 through 12, all of these ten plagues that come. Right? We get the plague of, of blood, and of frogs, of gnats, and of flies, and livestock, and boils, and hail, and locusts, and, and darkness. And then the final one, the whammy, right, is the plague on the firstborn, in which, in which God says, I'm going to kill all of the firstborn in Egypt. Tells them to cover their, their doorposts with the blood of a lamb. And the, and the angel of death will pass over them. And in chapter 12, we read about how this happens. And, and Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's child is killed. And, he, and it says, anyone from at midnight, on, in chapter 12, verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. And the next verse. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and go. And also bless me. (laughs) There's always that addition when people are talking to Israel for some reason. And also, bless me, please, I see the power, right? The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulder in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing, the Israelites did, as Moses instructed, and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably, favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. Now, if this sounds familiar, it's because we read this promise from God that Israel would plunder the Egyptians back in Exodus 3, in the burning bush. Right? If you go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 22... Or verse 21, I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Right. <clears throat> 12.36, the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. God is coming through on his promises again and again and again in Scripture. This is a theme that you see in all of Scripture. God coming through on his promises. And so they leave. They set out. And they set out towards the Red Sea. And some of us know this, they don't know this story in the Red Sea. It's in, in chapter 13. <clears throat> Starting at verse 20. We can, we'll just read the story as well. Starting at verse 20. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, this is just amazing here, this is one of my, this is, I have this marked in my Bible with a star and it says replay room by this, right? When I get to heaven, there's got to be a replay room. I just want to go and see some of this stuff that is in scripture, right? This is one of those. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night, Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Just amazing. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp. I'm going to skip those words. They are are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite uh, Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So most, so, the, so the Egyptians come and they, they chase the Israelites, right? They're, they're coming to get them. They want to bring them back. Pharaoh's heart has been hardened by God. He's coming to get them. And then this is, this is the, in verse 19, we kind of pick up the story here. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. Con- <clears throat> Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea, drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. On dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. This is a a huge part for what we're going to talk about today. When they saw what God had done, they feared him, and they put their faith in him and in Moses as, their servant, as his servant. All right, so now they're, they're across the, the Red Sea. Egypt is no longer, no longer chasing them. There's no longer any, any battle going on right now. They are, they are free, right? God has freed his people from the hands of the Egyptians. And so now what we see forming is this new, this new community, that God is, God is basically establishing his people, right? And we, we get to, X, to chapter 19, and, and we see in chapter 19 that God is doing just this, he's establishing his people, right? chapter 19, verse 3, then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him in the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, and I want you to hear this, now if you, fully, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. I want us to see this again. This is, this is a different kind of covenant with Moses here than with Abraham. Remember Abram in Genesis 15, when he makes this covenant with God, God walks through the animals and, and Abram's sleeping. Abram, Abram doesn't do this. This is an unconditional promise to Abram that his descendants will be numerous as the stars. And at this point, what do we see? We see really the fulfillment of, of all of that. His descendants, numerous as the stars, numerous as the dust. Know for certain that for 400 years your, your ancestors will be, will be enslaved in, the, in a country that is not their own. This is Genesis 15. Right? We've seen the fulfillment of this promise here. Right? And so now we get a new promise with Moses. And, but this one isn't the same. There's an if in this one. All right, let's read this again in, in 19 verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant... Then, out of, if, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then all, out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Out of the whole earth you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If, if you fully obey me, if you keep my covenant. And so what we see here in Exodus 19 and Exodus 20 with the, with the Ten Commandments is this establishment of really a, a new covenant community. This is is what we're going to talk about this morning. We're talking about this this covenant community that God has created with his people. We know the first first five books of the the Bible, really, as as the Torah, right? We know it as as the law. This is what we call it, the law. I swore to myself I'd never do this, but I want to look in the book of Leviticus today. (laughs) I'm a little scarred from college. I did a I did a 19-page paper on Leviticus chapter 19 in college, and swore to myself I would never preach out of Leviticus. Uh, But I want to go there today because I think we see this 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 covenant community, the beauty of this covenant community that God has created, right? And, And and I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of weird things in Leviticus, right? I mean, think about this. In chapter 11, basically, like there's the rules that you can't eat can't eat things like pork. Or, or camel, for that instance, right? You can't, you can't, eat, you can't eat things like pork. Chapter 12, there's, there's laws about purification after birth. In chapter 13, there's, there's, there's skin, skin ailments, right? And they're talking about cleanliness and all that. And then also in chapter 13, there's some hope for some bald people, right? Chapter 13, verse 40, a man who has lost his hair and is bald is clean. So there you go, right? If he's lost his hair from the front of his scalp and has a bald forehead, he is clean. There's some hope this morning for some of us, all right? Then uh, <laughs> in chapter 14, you have these these kind of weird things about, you know, things to clean your house with, and it's talking about, like, the blood of a bird, and cedar wood, and scarlet yarn, and hyssop, and, and none of these things are things that I would ever keep in my house, right? Maybe the yarn thing. Rachel might have some scarlet yarn, right? But... This is just weird, right and so, so you, you look at some of these things, and sometimes we read Leviticus and, and we read numbers and Deuteronomy and, and even the back half of Exodus that we just talked about That's a whole lot of laws, right This, this covenant community is being established. We read some of these, and we just think, man, what is the point? All right, what is the point of any of this? Right, does any of this even apply to me right we, none, like we 're not going to go in and sacrifice anymore we 're not going to go and do all of this stuff anymore. Does any of this really apply to me? How are we even supposed to read these books? How are we supposed to read the, the law? How are we supposed to read the Torah, right? How, how is this part of the story of God? And so I, I want to just, three quick things this morning on how we can read, how we can read the law, how we can read these kind of books, right? Here's, here's the first thing. I think we read these, these books carefully within their own context, within their own context. There's, I'm going to tell you something really obvious this morning. We are not Old Testament Israel. That's not who we are. We are in the year 2017 in Fresno, California. It's a little bit different than Old Testament Israel. And so some of the things that, that we're reading about, we, we need to know the context of what we're reading here. We need to, some of these things just aren't going to apply to us. Right? They're, not, they're not going to, to be for us. But I can tell you this, that even the things that are not for us are still the Word of God and are still helpful to us in understanding the character of God. All right, so even though the Old Testament is, is, or the Old Covenant as people say this, right. even the Old Testament, even though there's a lot in the Old Testament that's just weird and strange and not applicable, Every single piece of the Old Testament, even the Torah, especially the Torah, shows us a little bit about the character of who God is and really of why we do these things, right? A lot of this seems foreign to us, but every single one of these rules, every single one of these things was important to this community that God had created, this covenant community. Right? I think so we need to, we need to look in, within the context, right? second thing we need to do is observe what these, what these laws, what these Old Testament laws reveal about God. I kind of got ahead of myself a little bit. When you think about what these rules, what these laws reveal about God. I mean, no, if nothing else, think about this. All this, all this language of cleanliness and uncleanliness. There's, it's both in a spiritual realm and a physical realm. In Leviticus and Deuteronomy, right? All of these rules, if nothing else, should just speak to the holiness of who God is. That we cannot be with a holy God if we are unclean, if we are not holy. It speaks to the holiness of God, but it also speaks to the grace of God. I mean, Think think about this for a second. God is, in the Old Testament, he is not leaving his people just to wander by themselves. He's not just, just staying far away, letting his people go, letting his people wander around. God is with him. He's there in the cloud. He's there in the fire. Right? And, and he gives them some of these rules. Instead, he's, he's merciful. And as we'll see in a second in Leviticus 16, he, he still provides a way out of their sin every year. Right? God, is, God is still God. God is still merciful. This is, this is who God is. We can see the character of God revealed in these Old Testament laws. And the third thing we can do as we read these Old Testament laws, we can imagine the effects of these laws within this Old Testament community. I mean, we read these, and sometimes we, I think we make the mistake of of reading these, these first five books, the Torah, the law, through the lens of how does this apply to my life? And in a lot of ways, the answer is going to be this doesn't apply to my life. I mean, I don't know about you, but I enjoy a good pulled pork sandwich. I enjoy being able to to speak to my wife at church. I enjoy being able to hear from our, our, from our female pastors in our denomination that are, that are speaking out. I mean, this is Leviticus here, right? I enjoy some of that. Some of this stuff is just not going to, not going to apply in our culture, but, but given to, it's not given to, to individuals. This, these laws are given to a people, to a community, and that really to, to, form, to formulate how they relate to God and how they relate to each other. I right, think about this, I go back to this cleanliness thing. Think about the importance of cleanliness in a camp, in the wilderness of thousands and thousands of people. Right, God is not just OCD about cleanliness. God cares about his people, and as, as, as he cares about them, he knows that, that any little infection is going to spread through the whole camp. and through This could be just a widespread sickness. So cleanliness is super important in these communities. Right? God, is, God is taking care of his people, and, and, and in, in a sense, this is amazing. This has huge implications for us because God still wants to take care of his people. In these laws, we see some of his character and we see how we are to relate to each other and how we are to relate to God. We see a lot in here. God has given us his word for the same purpose that he gave his word to the Old Testament Israel so that we would know how to take care of each other and how we together best display his love and his character and his grace and his mercy. How do we do this? this is, we, we know this through through God's word. So I think there's some, some implications of, of the law in our churches today. All right, we are a part of, of the New Testament church. We fit somewhere before Revelation. That's where we fit. Right, somewhere between Jude and Revelation. There, there should just be like a, a page with just a dot, dot, dot on it. Because that's where we are right now. The story is not done yet. God is telling his story through, through us, through our churches. And so how, do, how can we, what are the implications for, for, for knowing these things about how to read the law and how to, how to kind of interpret this stuff? How do, we, how do we do this? Well, to do that, I want to look at, at Leviticus chapter 16. I think there's three, three major implications here. Leviticus chapter 16 uh, is a chapter... Uh, really, that's about the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement is a day in which God set aside once a year to be able to cover over the sins of his people. This is not, a, not a, just a simple covenant. This is a, this is a big deal. Right? We're talking about God's forgiveness here. We're talking about God's grace here. We're talking about the, the covering of the sins of his people once a year on the Day of Atonement. We'll just start reading here in, in chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of, of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain, in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. All right, there's a lot that goes into this that's read previously in Leviticus and at the end of Exodus. <clears throat> for I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He's to put on the sacred linen tunic with, with linen undergarments next to his body. He He's to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. I want you to, to see here just the seriousness of this, of this covenant here. Right, and I want us to—I think the first implication is this: is that together, as a community, we need to stand in awe together of God. Because here's the thing: this, this references, and just in the first verse here, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. This is, this is a story back in Leviticus 10. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm not going to necessarily go back there. But it's a story in Leviticus 10 in which, in which Aaron's two sons brought an unauthorized offering to the altar. In a sense, they were trying to, to do their duties in their own way. Not in the way that God had commanded them, not, in the, not according to the, the rules and the laws in which God had established to, to allow his people to know how to relate to God and how to relate to each other, try to do it on their own way. And it's, in Leviticus 10, we see that fire came from the altar and consumed both of them. This is how they died. Right? they they did not take their offering really seriously. They're, 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 the, and now the offering itself in this story doesn't really apply to us. We're not going to go and make an offering. Right? But here's here's what can apply to us from this story is that we God God's it's still God's word to us. So we cannot be a casual community of God. Think about this. We, we need to stand together in awe of who God is. We cannot come to church just casually worshiping, just casually living our lives for Christ. Right? The two sons of Aaron here are making an offering. They're doing the, the Christian thing. They're at church. They're doing their thing. And what happens? Fire from the altar comes out and consumes them. I think we need to, we need to take our, our worship more seriously. I mean, it's sixteen chapter 16 begins with this, right? It begins with, with this warning to, you know, you need to be prepared as you come to this altar of God. But then at the end, in verse 29, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you, to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. This last phrase, it's a day of Sabbath, and you must deny yourselves. The word here is really just humble. It's a day of rest. You need to humble yourself. So we have this, this warning in the beginning of 16 of, of the two sons who really just kind of took it casually. They were casually presenting an offering at the altar. They were consumed by fire. And at the end of 16, after, after he gives the rest of the instructions for Aaron to make this sacrifice of atone, atonement, we see there, this day, it needs to be a day where you humble yourself. <clears throat> where you come before the Lord and you, you know that you are not God and God is God and you are not you, you come to, to just be in awe of the power of God, of who God is, of, of what he's done in your life. I think here's the question I want us to, to think about this morning. Do we realize who we're singing to this morning? Do we realize who we pray to this morning? Do we realize who we speak to when we pray? Do we realize that this word is a word from the, from the creator God, the star breather God? Do we realize who we worship? We just need to be in awe of who God is. This is not just a, a casual, simple thing that we come to do every week. And we come to worship a big God, a great God, a mighty God, a glorious God. and go on and on all day. This is why we come. This is, this is what we do. And together, I think we need to come in awe of who he is. I think That's part of what we get from from all the laws in Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy. We we come to know the, the, the the separateness of God, the holiness of God. We come to know that we need to be in awe of God. God does not take lightly to people who take Him lightly. We need to be in awe of God together. I think the second thing we need to do is we need to we need to fight together in this battle of sin. Sin is not a a one-man battle. This is a battle we fight together. If there's one thing you can get from the sacrifice and atonement, it's, it's the realization that sin is a very serious thing. I mean, you look at all the instructions that Aaron has to do. Bring this bull. Bring this, bring this, do this, do this. Go here, go there. This is all the things that you need to do to be able to fully make this sacrifice for people. This is what you need to do to to make this sacrifice of atonement for the Israelite people. This is is what you need to do to make our relationship right again. It's not just a a simple prayer. This is a a huge deal. Sin is a a big deal, and it's something that we need to fight together. (coughs) I mean, our, our propensity to sin is strong. Right? Our, our bodies, our, our, our nature really is, is sin. And we need to fight it together. We need one another. We need people in our lives who understand what we're struggling with and how we struggle with it. We need people in our lives who are going to hold us accountable and ask us how we're doing with certain things. You know, John Wesley, one of our, one of our, our founding fathers, you could say, right? We we're kind of part of the Wesleyan tradition. He did these small groups, these cell groups. And here's they did five questions when they got together. I want to read these questions to you. I just want you to think about how, how serious John Wesley took, took sin. Here's the five questions they asked every single time. This was the small group. Ready? Question one. What sin have you committed since our last meeting? Question two. What temptation have you met with this week? Question three. How were you delivered? Question four. What have you thought, said, or done of which you doubt whether it be sin or not? Is there anything in your life in which you've done that you don't know if it's sin or not? You, just, you We need to talk about this. And then the last question have you nothing to have you nothing you desire to keep secret? What are you not telling us? These are the five questions in the in a Wesley small group. Think about that. Think about how serious this is. This is this is this is what we do, though. We need each other. If we're going to to battle sin together, we need each other. This is not a one on one thing. We need each other. And it's, it's just as serious as these questions are. Man, if we got together and we were just like, hey, what are you struggling with this week? How can we, how can we help you with this? What are you not telling me? <laughs> what temptations have you been faced with this week? Is there anything that you've done in your life that, that might be sin, that you're just not quite sure about? Right, think about it. This is how serious it was, John Wesley and his group. This is, this is how serious we need to be taking sin. Sin is a very serious thing. We get that from the from this from the Torah. We get the seriousness of sin. We get the consequences of sin. Right, we fight in this battle together against sin that remains within. And the third thing is this: and it's not necessarily in in the Torah directly, but we unite we we unite as together around the co- cross of Christ. We unite together around the cross of Christ. Old Testament Israel. God's provision in in the Old Testament, in Old Testament Israel, once a year, a sacrifice is made. And God looks favorably on the sacrifice. He sees the, the sins of Israel. He's satisfied by the sacrifice of the substitute. This is how it's done in the Old Testament. Here's how it's done in the New Testament. Here's how it's done for you and for me today. God provides for our sins in the cross of Jesus Christ. God sees our sin. And he sees the sacrifice of Christ and he's satisfied by the sacrifice. As a covenant community, we unite around the cross of Christ. Our guilt is gone. Our shame is gone. Our, our, our conscience is clear because we are in this community of, of believers who, who unites around the cross of Christ. Right? In the Old Testament, what do they unite around? In the Old Testament, they united, against, they united around this Day of Atonement. This Day of Atonement was a, was a huge deal. Our sins are are gone. Our sins are covered through this day of atonement. God God sees our sin and through the sacrifice of this clean animal, we are forgiven. And now, like I said, this is one of those things that doesn't make sense in the Old Testament for us because we don't need to do that anymore. We don't sacrifice animals anymore because we have the sacrifice of the, the perfect lamb in Jesus Christ who comes to take away the sins of the world. We unite around this, this cross of Christ for our atonement. This is the sacrifice. This is the atonement. This is what we see in the Old Testament. See, to be a, a covenant community with Christ, we 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 follow his law. Now, the law in the Old Testament may not make a lot of sense to us. But Jesus came and He, he made a new covenant. Now, some people take that to say that the Old Testament is just obsolete now, right? We don't need the Old Why do we even read the Old Testament? If God came and, and made this new covenant, why do we need it? Like I said earlier, the Old Testament is there for, for a reason. The Old Testament is still the Word of God. And there's a lot in the Old Testament that is affirmed in the New Testament. right? You see in Leviticus chapter 19... Verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Does that sound familiar? All right, that's Matthew 5 for you right there. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these things. Right, there's a lot in the Old Testament that is, is not obsolete. There's a lot of the Old Testament that is there for us. It's still the word of God for the people of God, which we are. And from the Old Testament, from these laws, we see the character of God made clear to us. We see how God, how God wanted his people to relate to him made clear to us. We see how God wanted his people to relate to each other made clear to us. We see the things that are important to God made clear to us in the Old Testament. It's not obsolete. It is the word of God. It is part of the story of God. It's part of what we need to know as disciples making disciples. So as a covenant community, which God has established, we need to be together. We need to just be in awe of who God is together. That when we come and we worship, we know who we worship. We know who we pray to. We're in awe of the God that hears our prayers and that speaks to us through his word. We're in awe of this God. We come together and we're, we're in battle together in this battle of sin. There's not one of us that can win a battle of sin on our own. We need each other. If victory is going to happen, we need each other. We need to be accountable with each other. We are a community. We're a covenant community. And as a covenant community, we need to unite around the cross of Christ. If we're united around any other thing, it is not worth being here. We unite around the cross of Jesus Christ. Because it's only through his blood that we are saved. It's only through his death and resurrection that we can have life everlasting. It's only through, through his death and resurrection that John 3.16 is a reality for us. God so loved the world that he, he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, would have everlasting life. We come in awe, we stand together against sin, and we unite against the cross of Christ. That's what it means to be a covenant community. That's what it looks like. And my prayer this week is that we would be that community. I saw that community yesterday at this picnic. I saw us together. I saw us meeting together. You know, Acts 2, that we meet together. That we would, we would just be together. That's what it's all about. I saw us uniting around the scripture, uniting around, around the word of God, uniting around this law at our Grow event a few weeks ago at Secret Church. See, the tangible expression of this, of a covenant community, when we unite together on the cross, when we're, when we're together in our battle against and we're in awe of God, it, it translates into real life. And that's why we serve together. See, a covenant community, we connect and we grow and we serve all together. That's what it means to be a covenant community. My prayer this week is that we would, we would be a covenant community in the flesh. That when people see our church, when they see you at work and they they ask you about your weekend and you tell them, man, I went to church this weekend, it was amazing. I was with family this weekend. I worshiped God this weekend. He was there with us. He met with me. This is amazing that we would be just a, a tangible picture of the covenant community that God has in mind when he looks at our church. That's my prayer for this week. And not just this week, but forever. That we would be a covenant community that God has established. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we are, just again, just so thankful for you to be here with us this morning. God, we're thankful just to be in your presence, to be able to, to hear from your word, to be able to just meet with you and feel you and pray to you. God, we, we are in awe of you this morning. God, we, we, may you remind us of, of who it is that we come to worship this morning, of who it is that hears our prayers and that, that speaks to us through, through your word, God. Would we be reminded of who you are this week? And God, as we read, will we not just overlook the passages in the Old Testament that just don't make sense to us? Will we look deeper and see you and your character and the way in which you desire us to to relate to each other, the way in which you desire us to relate to you? May we see you even, even in passages we have trouble understanding. God, we love you, and we give you praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? I'm just going to pray a a prayer of blessing over you as we leave this morning. Just hold your hands out. Just receive, receive this blessing. May the God of grace and peace and mercy and joy and love, may he go with you and ahead of you this week. May he be in your workplaces and your homes and your cars. May he be with you where you are. May he be in your conversations that you would be a light for him this week, that you would be a, a, a picture of the covenant community that he is calling us to be. May you go in his peace and in his grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Go in peace.